Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That portion of God's word, for a reminder that our God wins over denials, is taken from our gospel reading, from the gospel of John, chapter 21. I'd like to share again just the verses 15 through 17. Again, this is Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. They're fishing in a boat, the disciples, Jesus came on shore. Peter saw, they said there was a Lord. Peter jumps in the water, swims there, they have breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Our God wins over denials. Have you ever denied knowing someone? Over the past number of weeks, the general theme for my messages have been, has been our God wins. Our God wins over doubt. Our God wins over the devil. Our God wins over worldly wisdom. Our God wins over and through the plans of men. Now, I hope that these made some sense to you and you could relate to them. Well, I don't know about this. Our God wins over denials. I mean, can you think of anybody important or not that you have denied, denied knowing? Unless it's maybe when you're, little, when you're younger, you know, that little brother or sister that bugged you all the time and embarrassed you. He kind of, he, he said, I don't, I don't know who that is, you know. But for sure, I don't think any of us can conceive of, I don't think, that we have denied anyone like, like the apostle Peter did on the night that Jesus was arrested. Still, maybe we can learn something from Peter's situation with Jesus. It really is a very touching story, at least at the end. Let's go through the account again. First, denying Jesus by Peter. The account to many of us is, is so familiar. But yet it doesn't make any sense, right? Peter? And Peter was the bold one. He was the brash one. He was the one that could walk on water. He was the one that vowed, I will never desert you, Jesus, or betray you. Peter, let's listen to the account again. The tragic account. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants' officials stood outside around the fire they had made to keep warm. 
Peter was standing with them, warming himself. And in verse 25, meanwhile, Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. At that moment, a rooster began to crow. I mean, Peter, I mean, how could you? Of all the disciples, how could you be the one? Of course, there was, there was Judas. And Judas didn't just deny knowing who, he didn't deny knowing who Jesus was. What he did deny is who Jesus said he was and who showed by his life and his miracles who he was, the Son of God, the Savior, the very Messiah. Well, how about denying Jesus by the other disciples? Except for John, to whom Jesus you know, gave his mother into custody when he was on the cross. Can you think of any of the other disciples who are, we know were at the crucifixion? I, I can't. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it probably means they weren't there sharing the truth who Jesus was, and that he was the Messiah, and he was the Savior. He was the one that uh, was identified as the king of the Jews, we, we hear of, of none of that. Where did Jesus find them? On two consecutive Sundays. In an upper room behind locked doors, afraid of the leaders of the Jews. Where do we find the disciples and others gathered on Pentecost? We're talking 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples had seen personally Jesus several times, talked to him, interacted with him, heard the great commission that they were to go and make disciples of all nations. Where do we find them? Once again, in a room someplace, locked. Well, what happened? This, the Great Commission. What, what happened to what Jesus had taught them and shown them and encouraged them to talk and, and to say about? Well, at this time, it wasn't in the face of persecution, but they didn't seem to do much of anything. Well, well maybe they were gathering together and, and developing plans, Right? Maybe they had meeting after meeting, talking about strategy, but we hear of nothing of that. You see, doing nothing, subtle foot dragging, can also be a denial of Christ. And that leads us to us, to our denials of Jesus. And this is where it gets a little sensitive, right? A pastor stands up and talks about sins that maybe you can relate to or you have committed and what goes through your mind. Possibly, well, yeah, there's some truth to that, but uh, there's a reason for that. I was in this situation and da 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 You know? 
Peter could have come up with that too, right? Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was stressful with all these people around me. I didn't know what they'd do to me. And I, whatever the excuses he could have came up with, they didn't hold water at all. And neither, neither do ours, do they? Or you could think of, well, yes, I, I guess I was kind of denying Jesus there. But not, not as bad as, and we fall right into where the, the uh, ten disciples, right? Okay, maybe that wasn't the best thing, but, but at least we're not as bad as Peter. What about Peter? He said, well, I know, but at least I'm not as bad as Judas. Right? Judas. Judas. How sad. How sad about Judas, right? Um, what about us? Any times that we have denied Christ in one way or another come to mind? Maybe we can think about it as I share a few thoughts. We, this is uh, the fourth Sunday of Easter, right? Easter, that time in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who lived and died for us and all people, who paid for all sins and proclaimed it is finished by his resurrection. <clears throat> who have we told about Jesus since Easter? Ah, family member, friend, somebody at work, anybody? If not, right? Silence, right? Silence can be denying Jesus also. Or maybe at work or whatever, if you have children that play in, you know, T-ball or Little League, uh, somebody uses the name of Christ inappropriately. What do you do? How do you react? What do you say? If we never say anything, isn't that denying who Jesus is to us and what he means to us? <clears throat> Another example. You see people in desperate need, and you are able in a safe and God-pleasing way to help them. What do you do? Do you just look past them? I mean, as if they did not exist? And if we do that, what are we saying about Christ, who had compassion on those who were needy, <clears throat> who took care of their needs in various ways, and who said that on Judgment Day, some of the, the, the signs, the evidence that we have saving faith is because we fed those who were hungry. We gave water to those who were thirsty. We gave a coat to those who were cold. We visited those who were in prison. And if we choose when we're able to not do anything, what do we say about Christ? And the privileges and the commands that he gives us. Are we guilty of denying Christ? Example. On this Mother's Day weekend, do we dishonor and deny Christ when we dishonor his plan for marriage and families? I mean, we live in a society that says living together this man and wife are living together that way. 
with anyone at any time of any gender is perfectly fine. That's not what God says. That's not what Jesus said marriage was. What do we do about it? What do we think about it, first of all? And that, what do we do about it in a God-pleasing way? <clears throat> if it's somebody that you know, that you have interactions with, we don't do anything, ever. Isn't that denying our Savior and his plan for us? And if that's not a situation with you or your family, do we ever deny God's wonderful role of man and woman? When we don't treat our husband or our wife in a God-pleasing way, and not just on Mother's Day and Father's Day, or we don't treat our parents or our children in ways that God would have us treat them and teach them and lead them, are we in danger of denying Christ? I don't think it's too difficult if you actually stop and think about it. Ways in which we are very likely to be guilty of denying Christ. And as you think about those, and as we go along, make sure you listen to part two of how Jesus deals with deniers. Let's see how he does that. First of all, with deniers like Judas. At least in Judas's case, Jesus dealt with him by warning him. And as we trade during the, before the institution of the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus said in the hearing of Judas, the one who dips his bread in the bowl with me is the one who's going to betray me. Warning, warning. And then he says, it would have been better if that man would never have been born. Warning, warning. Jesus deals with deniers by still befriending and reaching out to the end. What would you say to a close friend? I mean, somebody that you trusted, who betrayed you, stabbed you in the, in the back, or you know, actually did something that, that caused you great harm. What would you say to that person? What would you think about that person? How about Jesus? How did Jesus deal with Judas, who was leading a band of men that were going to arrest and eventually put Jesus to death? What would you say to somebody like that? Words that couldn't be said in front of children, I'm sure. What did Jesus say to Judas? What was the first words that we have recorded, written down, that Jesus said to Judas? He called him friend. And I don't think he's being facetious or sarcastic. Judas was no friend of Jesus. But Jesus was still a friend of Judas. Jesus lived his life for Judas, never denying his gracious God. Jesus was going to go to the cross and pay for Judas's sins, every one of them, including this one. See, Jesus still loved Judas. 
No matter what Judas did, his love was always there. Sadly, tragically, it was too late for Judas. Because Judas denied his faith in Jesus. Judas did not trust him at all for being his Savior, his Lord. And Judas was condemned to hell by his unbelief, the ultimate denying of Jesus. Yes, dear friends, Jesus deals with deniers today also. Those total unbelievers at their death are damned to the horrible place that was really set up for denying devil and the evil angels. So, dear disciples of Jesus today, don't let this happen to you. Don't think little of sin or little of maybe, you know, stealing a little bit here, as if a little sin isn't too serious at all. Look where it led Judas to. Jesus deals with deniers. See how he deals with Peter. In the presence of the other disciples who most likely were listening, right? And the presence of us as we have it recorded for us. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. I mean, no doubt Peter remembered his denials of Jesus. I mean, you or, or me, how would we feel? Right? I'd feel extremely embarrassed and tremendously guilty. I mean, if the other disciples knew about it, and most likely they did by this time, can you imagine what they're wondering? What's he going to do to them? Right? Is he going to get back at them now? Oh, I'm sure glad that's not me. How did Jesus deal with the denying Peter? Um, there was no piling on, adding more guilt to what he may have had already. There was no shaming, right? No, how could you, Peter, of all people? Just a simple, straightforward face-to-face, caring interaction. And Jesus wasn't done yet. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A second time, basically the same question, same response, similar directive. By Jesus to Peter. Jesus wasn't done yet. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. So we have, but three times harsh denials by Peter, three times loving, encouraging, dealing with Peter by Jesus. Obviously, Peter thought it was a little much, right? And he was hurt by what Jesus was doing. Of course, Jesus knew that Peter denied him. Of course, Jesus knew that Peter was sorry and repented of that. Of course, Jesus knew that his life and his death on the cross paid for these sins also. Of course, Jesus knew what was in Peter's heart and his mind, but also what was in his future. And the Satan never came to Peter and wanted to, to bring back that, those sins and dump guilt on him, Jesus wanted Peter to know he was forgiven totally, fully, and freely. Jesus wanted Peter and the others to know how he deals with deniers with compassion, with reconciliation, and with a ministry to carry out. Right? Each time they had that interaction, Jesus said, okay, being that that's true, I got something for you to do. Be about that. See, a lasting message for Peter and for those other disciples and hopefully a lasting message for us today. How does Jesus deal with deniers like us? So have you brought to mind any recent or, or past denials of Jesus? Do they seem insignificant or tiny compared to big bad Peters? Be careful. Right? For in God's eyes there is not such a thing as big sins and little sins. Big denials and little denials. Every sin deserves eternal punishment. But every sin Jesus has paid for. Right? Thanks to God, we won't have a place next to Judas. Be sensitive to denials. So that when they come, when we do those, you can quickly go to Jesus and give him over, asking for forgiveness, being assured that we have the same Jesus that Peter had, who will deal with us in a compassionate and a caring and a forgiving way. And remember that when we deal with others. Others who have sinned, maybe sinned against us. How do we deal with them? May God empower us to deal with them as Jesus did. May he give us that same kind of love, at least in, in growing amounts, so we can forgive others, be compassionate to them. See, Satan would like to work on us too. And if we have sins, including denials, that, that uh, we're sensitive to, and he knows that, you can bet he's going to try to dump them on you again. 
and say, how could you do that? You as whatever Christian we are, whatever stage we are, whatever position we are, that's why we need to remember the compassion and gracious God and the forgiveness that we have. And that's why we need to remember that as to Peter, so to us. He says, okay now, out of thankfulness, I want you to do something. Right? Uh, feed my little lambs. You know, fill out a sheet like this. See how you can be a part of the ministry, the outreach to young children in our congregation. How about some of those other examples that we had or that I mentioned before? Outreach. You know? Think about that. Who has God put into your life that needs to know about Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's somebody at work that does use his name inappropriately. Perhaps there is an opportunity in the future when you can use that as the stepping off place. You know, you use that word, Jesus' name. I want you to tell you how important Jesus is to me and what he's also done for you, right? For those who are in great need, maybe you're not the kind that can walk up to them and, and, and personally uh, give them the coat, the drink of cold water, but maybe you could help those who, who are willing to do that and can do that through various agencies and various people who have that kind of care and a special love that God's given to them. Be supportive of those people. And we live in a world that's becoming more and more uncaring about God and his plans for us and plans for, for marriage. And the devil loves it. What a fertile ground that is for him to plant the seeds that could grow into unbelief. So if God has put you in a situation, family, friends, somebody that you know that plainly isn't following God's will, how are you going to deal with it? Do something, right? But do it in, in the way that Christ did it, in a compassionate, loving way. Not, I'm better than you, not, not that you're scum. None of those kinds of things. Jesus did not do that. Why would we, his followers, do that? We want to reflect to others the same kind of love and compassion that Jesus has. And we do that by the way we talk with others and the way we deal with other things. And remember the wonderful forgiveness that Christ earned for all of us in every in any situation. And on this Mother's Day, may we also recommit ourselves to thank our God for the gracious ways that he has blessed us through our mothers. They are not perfect. Don't expect them to be. But they're the gift of a perfect God to us. To us. Then every day and every way, right? We can live our life for the privilege of feeding and nourishing God's little lambs and sheep that are around us. Every day and every day, every way, showing 
because we know that our God wins over denials. Amen.